0: I think we can, we can think that we're supposed to be in charge of the timing of things, but sometimes things land or they come to fruition or they come to us when they come to us.
1: Well, we are here with Amy Lee. Amy has been studying consciousness and holistic health for over 20 years, fueled by a love of systems that have been brought into the world to understand, organize and explore the human race. She currently works as a professional analyst and guide certified through Human Design America and the International Human Design School, guiding others and becoming more aware of how both natural characteristics and continued motivations are expressed through the body, voice, and emotions. Awesome.
0: Thanks for being here,
1: Amy. Yeah,
0: thanks for having me.
1: It's a great bio. It's really a combination of things that I'm really passionate about and have a little bit of experience with human design. But yeah, I'm really excited to hear more about it and your journey towards it and share it with our audience.
0: Great. Sounds really good.
1: So let's start before we get into the human design piece of your work. Tell me a little bit about kind of your early days, your childhood, your family life. Tell me a little bit about kind of the early parts of your life that, you know, maybe eventually we'll be able to kind of connect the dots into into what you're doing today.
0: Yeah. Well, I I would say I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland, and I have a sister and had an interesting series of events, I think, that that shaped my life and took me through some experiences that maybe would not have been expected. Um, My parents got married very young my father is an immigrant so he came here from thailand at a very young age and i think from early years both my parents obviously had a huge influence on me but one of the things that was interesting about my father's life was that i i saw from very early on that he you know he came here without knowing how to speak english he came here with nothing really and just sort of figured it out. Mm-hmm. And I think he had dreams that of things that he wanted to be or that he wanted to do, which didn't all quite come to fruition. And I would say probably early in my life that that influenced me quite a lot, mm-hmm. even though we didn't talk about it that much. He wasn't a very talkative or expressive mm-hmm. person, but I could see that he was He was in his life, he was struggling to make it. He was working to adapt to this culture. And he had a pretty sunny attitude about it. I
1: think. How old were you when you were kind of observing this? Or is this more kind of like in a hindsight way you you think about it now?
0: I think the way I think about it now is it's almost like the ocean I was swimming in. Mm -hmm. It's sort of the the vibe or the feel that was around me
1: growing up. Was that my soup of it all kind of? Yeah, exactly.
0: Mm -hmm. Like he was working really hard. Both my parents worked hard. They were together for about 10 years before they split. And I, my father really always wanted to get an engineering degree. He wanted to to be a mechanical engineer and he never quite completed that dream. So a couple formative things that happened for me. One was that my mother ended up getting a job working for a private school, a pretty prestigious private school in Baltimore. She was working as a secretary. And I don't think she ever had any notion that we wouldn't just be normal kids like she was, and we would just go to public school. But because of that position, my sister and I were able to go to this pretty fancy, nice school that we wouldn't really have been able to go to. And we got to go for free because she worked there. Mm -hmm. So um, right away, that kind of put us in this context where my home life and my social and school life were very
1: different. Mm -hmm. I was in a very different culture. and. Because your home life was, how was it different?
0: Well, my parents were both, I would say pretty hardworking and both came from really big families. My mom's the second oldest of seven. My father's the youngest of 11. And so they're, I don't think they grew up with anything similar to, to what's more normal in a kind of upper up, middle upper class culture now. Mm-hmm. they They were just sort of on their own figuring things out for themselves and they were had lots of brothers and sisters, and so I think the the focus for us when we were kids was, you know, and they they were just sort of surviving. They were just sort of, you know, making their way. And then we we ended up being in this en- environment and culture where there was a lot of focus, there was a lot of attention, there was a lot of um, mm-hmm. opportunity, got it, and a lot of wealth.
1: And, and how old were you when you started to go to the private school?
0: From. I mean, kindergarten, preschool, okay. mm-hmm. so from, from very young. And
1: you were how old when your parents split up?
0: My parents split when I was about eight.
1: Okay. Yeah. And so you stayed in Baltimore. Both your mother and father were there. Mm-hmm. Were you kind of moving from house to house or did you spend more time with your mother?
0: Um, we lived with my mom. My dad was always around, so we spent time with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I could really see the I could see the difference in their natures from a very young age, mm. how they approached life, mm-hmm. how they dealt with challenge or conflict. But I could also see uh, the, the big cultural differences that were there. Mm. I mean, my fa- and my father's family, you know, my father was born and raised in Thailand, but he's Chinese. So mm. his family had emigrated um, from China to Thailand when mm. he was very young. So he, and and my mother's family as well, in the immigrant culture. My grandmother's Japanese. So I would I would say one of the things that sort of formed my early life was this uh family history of a lot of movement and a lot of adaptation to uh, coming into new cultures, coming into different environments. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like on on some unconscious level, I already had that in me. Mm-hmm. And then I had this sort of setup of. Of having my home life, which you know was hardworking, more immigrant oriented in some ways, to then being in this sort of you know private school environment that was very different mm-hmm. and very enriching in a lot of ways. It really developed my mind. It gave me a lot to strive for. Mm-hmm. I was pretty smart as mm-hmm. a young kid, so I was able to and and i I had it, i think already in me that it was. If I was going to survive or if I was going to do well in the context I was in, I was going to need to really pay attention to the people around me and mm-hmm. how things worked and be perceptive and intelligent about how I handle myself and how I learn to adapt to I think it's expected.
1: I think it's really interesting, you know, the, and I'm imagining kind of how you are thinking as a pretty young child mm-hmm. and And uh, and if I'm, if I'm hearing you correctly, you know, you're, you seem like this, you're you're taking a lot in that you Mm -hmm. seem to be kind of perceptive and analyzing and kind of figuring Mm -hmm. out kind of how to be and adapt and learn and Mm -hmm. what you like and don't like. That's, you know, I don't know for me, I don't think I was that aware or Mm -hmm. awake, you know, at at a Mm -hmm young age to notice mm-hmm. um, so but but you were am, am I right I mean is, is that that was kind of the experience you were having as a child it's really mm-hmm. noticing what was going on you know for better or worse with your parents with the kids at school in in the world
0: yeah I think I mean I think it speaks to you know what we may talk about eventually in terms mm-hmm. of nature but I don't think I had a strong sense of self as as a young kid I don't think I had a strong sense of like this is who I am, and this is what I do, and what I want to do, and this is what I love. I mean, I had things that I loved, but in terms of a social context, I think the the natural way I went into it was actually to be very receptive, and then very uh, productive in reaction to mm-hmm. whatever was around me. And you can see, and I, and, I, and I could see that there were some people who could come into an environment and they would just be, be what they were, or impose what they wanted, or Go after what they wanted and you could say in some ways that comes from some conditioning of my own you Mm -hmm. know being um more in a minority position that i i would naturally be conditioned to adapt Mm -hmm. but i think it also speaks to something that's that's pretty natural in me as well Mm
1: -hmm. yeah so i'm curious because i've been kind of fascinated with this idea that you know we're all born a certain way and in my belief and I'm not entirely convinced of this but I generally think that we're all born pure and Mm -hmm. really you know whole and divine and Mm -hmm. and and then life happens you know Mm -hmm. certain societal influences parental influences traumas etc kind Mm of take us on a path and and often take us away from that maybe divine path that we're born into, and mm-hmm. and and I don't really believe there's anything that's away. I think it's all serving us and for our benefit, but it might feel like it's at least you know kind of taking us away, mm-hmm. and maybe is. And there's the possibility that some of this is coming even from prior generations, and mm-hmm. right that we're we're born into um, the world with some sort of prior history and path and mm-hmm. programming so you know I, all of that um, I find to be intriguing and you know something I'm in the process of trying to understand but when mm-hmm. I hear you say that there were things that you loved mm-hmm. and then there's this kind of you know minority influence and the parental influence and the societal influence of the private school what were those things that you love that might be part of that kind of purity that divinity that that you were born with you know were there kind of flashes of insight that were like things that you love that maybe you got away from
0: well to, just to the i want to say something about, about sure. what you said because i think it's really important when you're talking about this this idea that we come in with a certain kind of purity or a certain kind of organic nature to us i i think that's really true too but we we come in with that as a as a sort of uh, nature that's there, and then it has to grow. It has mm-hmm. to develop. It meets. It meets the environment, and you know you, you see it in nature all the time. Once we meet with an environment, then it's a it's a process of exploration and growth to figure out what does this organic nature become in this particular context with these particular people and, and social influences and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, from a very young age, I always loved my voice. Mm-hmm. I loved to sing. I loved to talk. Mm-hmm. I would much rather sit and um have a have a conversation or study something than um, than do a lot, although I did do a lot. I did everything mm-hmm. you know I did every sport and every activity and I was very driven and fueled I think by the energy that was around me. Mm-hmm. But I always loved my voice, and probably one of my favorite things as a young kid was to just sit in my room and sing mm-hmm. and I performed and I did plays and I did all that kind of stuff. but I think what I actually loved most was to sing by myself. Mm. And that was something that I've learned now and it makes sense now that I know more about myself. It was a way of coming back to myself.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it was very interesting to go through the experience of being able to use my voice as a as a tool, as a way of performing or as a way of offering something to other people versus being able to experience my voice just for myself. Mm-hmm. And even just as a sensory experience of my own body, mm-hmm. and and hearing the sound that I could make with my body. Mm-hmm. So, you know, at the at this point in my life, I don't think singing or performing in that way is something that I, you know, there was a time when I thought, oh, I'd love to be a, you mm-hmm. know, be on stage and do all that. Um, now I I have a pretty deep appreciation for just how much joy and centering it brings for me, mm-hmm. um, just by
1: myself. Yeah, so. yeah, it's really great you know i um would love to talk more about kind of how you use that tool today Mm -hmm. because i get that it's a very kind of physical way for you to regulate and to kind Mm of um maybe you know maybe Mm -hmm. it's it's a it's a tool that that serves Mm -hmm. you well but as a child and kind of as as you were growing up it was there sounds like though it was influenced by this uh kind of you know Looming uh, expectation of some kind that you should be in doing mode, that you should mm-hmm. be performing or using it, active. You know, mm-hmm. again, not a necessarily a bad thing, but mm-hmm. was it kind of taking you down a path that wasn't maybe you know a part of your essence? Really, you know, you explain the kind of nature piece of it. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, kind of how you would reconcile that kind of doing, performing piece as a part of the nature, expansion, yeah, alignment.
0: I, I mean, I think i enjoyed I enjoyed the performance piece too. Um, but you know there I think there's a there's a way of thinking that's almost like if you if you love something, especially now, it's very it's very sought after, I think, in a lot of ways. If you have something that you love to do, then you should you know that should be your thing, and it should mm-hmm. be for every you know, that should be what you go after, what you build your career around or what you. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't know that it, you know, was my, I think I, when I was young, that the images that I saw or, or what I could gather, I, I might've wanted to be a pop star wanted mm-hmm. to be a, you know, whatever to use my voice in that way. But I think over time I realized I didn't actually really have the energy for that. It <laughs> wasn't mm-hmm. actually something I really wanted to pursue. Mm-hmm. So did it pull me away from myself? I don't think, I don't, I don't know that it did. I I think there were also moments when I was able to be on stage and I don't think I had the best voice even, but I think there was something that people could hear or see of me through that medium that made me more visible in a way. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that was was actually a a special thing. It was actually a good thing.
1: Mm -hmm. The visibility.
0: Mm -hmm. Or just a certain recognition Mm -hmm. or certain space to to be able to transmit something Mm -hmm. um, even if it wasn't uh, sort of objectively the best or Mm -hmm. the most talented or whatever. sure. But I mean, I think that's what we all appreciate is just being able to see what's unique actually. Sure. What what we're often after. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Yeah, And I'm guessing there's some level of like engagement with the listener, the Mm -hmm. audience that, you know, there's, there's some sort of connection or Mm -hmm. wanting to, Leave people with a feeling mm-hmm. of some kind that's tangled up in that, mm-hmm. you know, kind of desire, too. Is that, was, is that mm-hmm. something that feels true for you?
0: Yeah, I think so. And
1: is that something that still yeah. kind of, as you were going through school and growing up, was a part of what was uh, important to you or that you enjoyed?
0: I think as I got, I, yes, I think so. And then also what I learned as I studied my. Interactions with people more is that that's that's one of the ways that I interact naturally mm-hmm. is that I take take people in um, through through my body and through the energy mm-hmm. of of whatever the interaction is, and that helps inform whatever comes out of me. Mm-hmm. So, it, I do think it's something that's developed for me over time and is a is a powerful way of interacting.
1: Mm-hmm. And where were your parents and your sister, your family, kind of? In this time, you know, how were they kind of in your um, support system for you performing or or kind of finding your way? Were they, you know, more supportive or more kind of driving? I think they
0: kind of just let me do my thing. We, we, my household growing up was very; everybody was pretty independent, and my sister and I. Uh, my sister is similar, I think, in some ways. We were both. We kind of figured out how to how to do things our own way I think for me in particular you know my mom would probably say that uh, she didn't really know how to guide me because I once I got into school once I started moving through life mm-hmm. I was very self-directed self-sufficient I think I You know, there are probably a lot of times I could have used more support, probably would have been helpful or probably would have been especially helpful for somebody to slow me down Mm -hmm. and say, what's really going on in there? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You're kind of doing 50,000 things. Mm -hmm. But I had a lot of freedom, I would say, as a kid. And it's interesting. I think when I was younger, I might have looked at that and and seen it or from a like psychotherapeutic perspective, might have seen that as I didn't get enough attention or I didn't Mm -hmm. get enough support and guidance in certain ways. The other side of that that I can appreciate now is that I had a lot of room and I had a lot of space to find my own way. And I think, in some ways, my mom was just sort of like, "Wow, you're you're pretty smart and self directed, and you're going after stuff, and Mm -hmm. you seem to be fine."
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm curious. You know, I think both can be true, and and Mm -hmm. you know, to some extent. You know, kind of, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. To some extent, maybe it's really helpful to kind of go back and understand. Yeah. Have you spoke to your mother about it? Like, do you know kind of what she was thinking at the time, or is that more of kind of your just uh, math on it? Your 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 belief story. Uh,
0: I mean, we've talked about it some. I I think uh, I think she would agree, and we have talked about that. I think she didn't really think much. I mean, she had me mm-hmm. when she was twenty one or twenty two. Mm-hmm. And then she was you know working full-time and yeah. going through her own growth and growing up, sure um, while I was a kid, so I think when we were young, I don't think she really thought about it much. Yeah. And even when I became a parent and she saw how I was parenting, yeah, and I was extremely thoughtful, probably overly thoughtful mm-hmm. about how I was parenting. She would look at me sometimes and say i don't I don't think I could have <laughs> survived parenthood if i if I had." you know, contemplated everything so Mm -hmm. much as I was doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, It it might've driven me crazy. Yeah.
1: Well, it's an interesting thing. I mean, I think there is this kind of generational, Mm -hmm. you know, thing that happens is, you know, your way of parenting, it sounds like, was to some degree a reaction from how you were parented. For sure. Some Mm -hmm. of it might've just been kind of the world changed. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, those, I, I know for me, I probably have experienced, you know, both kind of what you are like as a parent and what your mother was like, mm-hmm. you know, for kind of the early years of my uh, kids' lives. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I was really as conscious. I was kind of in my own figuring it out kind of mode. And then, you know, along the way, you start to do that a bit and mm-hmm. become a lot more conscious about the things that you're. Doing with your own kids, and Mm -hmm. you know, there it is. If you're young, like I was when I started having kids, it's a little bit hard sometimes to do both figure it out for yourself and you know, be all that you need to be as a parent.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I definitely think there's a balance. I think I took it
1: pretty far in the (laughs) other
0: direction, Uh, and (laughs) there is that the the standard Gen X thing, (laughs)
1: yeah, sure. Well, and we do that, you know, it's (laughs) part of the figuring it out, part of part of the. um evolution. And mm-hmm. and I guess, you know, kind of going back, you know, to your to your mother and just to that point mm-hmm. of of having that freedom, mm-hmm. you know, I also kind of believe that, you know, you can it, it both might be true that maybe we need more. And I'm not saying in your case that you did, but you mm-hmm. also can then benefit from whatever it is that you had. Mm-hmm. And so that freedom, how does it end up serving you as you start to move into through high school or into college, um, you know, how does all of this start to shape your life?
0: Well, I think what it what it set me up for was that my my school life really shaped me quite a lot, and I ended up going to engineering school, hmm. which was not something that my my parents necessarily directed me toward. But I think that was part of that picking up on my father's unfulfilled dreams, mm-hmm. and then also being in a uh, I went to an all girls school, but there was a lot of focus on uh, women in science Mm -hmm. and, you know, women, you know, going after uh, areas and fields of study that weren't typical. And, and I was pretty good at that. So I could do it. So I ended up going to engineering school and, but it wasn't really, it was something I could do, but it wasn't what I loved.
1: Mm -hmm. And let me just ask you about mm -hmm. that though. So, you know, you, you say, you know, your parents weren't really pressuring you Mm -hmm. to do that. Uh, there's maybe some influence in the school itself, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, there's this unfulfilled dream thing of your father's. Mm-hmm. Do you is, is again is this a hindsight thing? Like you can look back and see it that way, or when you were at that point, were you thinking? You know, my dad never did, and he wanted, and and I'm gonna. Was that part of your thinking or not?
0: I don't think I was really thinking. I think I was just. Mm-hmm. Doing it, yeah. I could do it. I was being encouraged to do it,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and um, it seemed practical. Yeah, and I could see that it would be smart to be practical, you yeah. know, given how hard I could see my parents worked to to make it in the world. And so I went that way. I think. I think if I had slowed down, or if I had thought about it, and I did have a couple, I did have a few teachers along the way who were sort of like, "Are you sure mm-hmm. that's what you want to do?" Yeah. Uh, that i i might have gone a different path um, mm-hmm. but i i went that way and i ended up going to a really good school and um studying and studying geological engineering
1: and all the way through college all the
0: way through undergrad mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it and it was probably somewhere and and i think this can happen for a lot of kids who are capable in their younger years uh it was somewhere in my early college years that i hit the point where i couldn't I think in a lot of ways I'd been able to get through school without trying super hard. Mm-hmm. And when I got to college, I really, I really <laughs> got confronted with my limitation there, mm-hmm. where I I I couldn't get through, you know, third-level calculus without trying. You had to do the work. <laughs> I had yeah. to really do the work. And um and that's when I started to see something different coming out of me where mm. I actually didn't have the energy or the discipline or the Um, or the passion to really pursue that field. That was not what I was actually interested in. Mm -hmm. And what I ended up doing, what I really valued about college were all the late night conversations I was having with Mm -hmm. my friends. And that's where... The magic was for me, mm. my college experience. Mm.
1: And what was the magic? What were the conversations you were having that were really getting you excited?
0: Oh, that that was just the first time in my life when I when I met people that I could really go deep with, mm-hmm. and I think that's when I really discovered what I really love mm-hmm. is was you know some of my closest friends who are still. Very close to me, I found in those years. And that's when we started asking these questions like, what is really going on Mm -hmm. here? And what are you seeing? And what is this all about? And Mm -hmm. why are things this way? And, Mm -hmm. you know, typical things that a lot of people are asking at that age. But I was also getting to look at, I I found myself really interested. I was in New York City. So I was in, you know, a place where there were lots of different people, lots of different cultures, lots of different religions. Mm -hmm. And it was just fascinating to me to sit with people and see how different their upbringing was and Mm -hmm. what their values were and what was driving them. And then the thing that I really loved was sitting with someone and finding out, oh, they have this exterior. I can see that. They have all these things they're driven to do and the ways they're working. I Mm -hmm. can see all that. They're telling me their story, how they were influenced by their parents and all of that. Mm -hmm. But then there's something else that I'm sensing that's pointing to something that's unique about this individual. Mm -hmm. And and i'm curious about
1: that yeah yeah so that's that's great i mean that's really interesting cuz now you know what i'm hearing is you're on a path and you're having these relationships and these conversations and this curiosity about what's going on with the human beings that you're connecting with mm-hmm. and and how are you seeing yourself in that kind of you're curious about the human experience are you starting to then question your own human experience that you're, you know, maybe going down this engineering path, which isn't really the thing that you're you're passionate about?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think I kind of had a breakdown at mm-hmm. that point. I think I also hit a point of just physical exhaustion mm-hmm. where I I was just exhausted. Mm-hmm. I was exhausted. I had just done a lot my my whole life. I've just been very busy Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: producing a lot, and um, trying to meet expectations that weren't even necessarily put on me, Mm -hmm. but that I could sense from around me.
1: And and where were you sensing those? Where where was that coming from for you? Is it more societal? I think
0: probably societal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just you know, to be successful, to be smart, to Mm -hmm. be attractive, to be productive.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you're you're still an undergrad, or you're
0: still an undergrad. Yeah, yeah. and
1: yeah. that's really this this breakdowns coming where you're trying to just...
0: break down. I was working really hard. Mm-hmm. I was trying to help pay my way through school. I was not into what I was studying. Mm-hmm. I was feeling the weight of the debt that was coming mm-hmm. when I was going to be graduating. Yeah,
1: these are um, very real things. Just, yeah,
0: yeah, pretty and, and,
1: pretty, common and pretty common and pretty yeah pretty pretty heavy. Yeah. for a young person. Yeah. Yeah. And so what's the breakdown look like? How do you, how does that materialize for you?
0: I um, I think I got to a point where I started to feel just not that functional. Like I felt like I couldn't keep up with with everything I was supposed to be doing. I was really overwhelmed living in New York City. Mm-hmm. The environment was getting to me. And I, I also felt like I was reaching the end. Once I reached the end of school, it was sort of like, okay, now it's time to go get your engineering job. Mm-hmm. And um, I just, I couldn't imagine doing it. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that point, I, had, I was, um, I ended up having a friend who, uh, who had a situation where I could move to Hawaii mm-hmm. um, after school and manage a bed and breakfast. Mm. And uh, I took it. Mm. And so uh, that was my sort of ticket out. And, and then within a year, I find myself having left this fancy school after all these years of investment in my education.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I'm cleaning a toilet and a bed and breakfast <laughs> in Hawaii. Um, well, what
1: was what was the decision like to do that? To to kind of not go down this path that you had been preparing for your whole life and to go take a very different route. What was that a difficult thing for you to do? Was that difficult for you to um, share with your family? Where was the challenge? If, or, or was it like, I have to do this. I cannot go down that path.
0: I think it was actually like, I didn't know what I was going to do. And I didn't have the energy to pursue anything uh, of my own creation. Mm-hmm. At that time, I, I was really exhausted. And that's what showed up. Mm-hmm. With somebody saying, "Hey, you could go do this," and I was kind of like, "Okay, I'll go do that." Mm-hmm. And I, I would say I've had a lot of experiences like that in my life where things just show up. Things show up, and they're not always necessary. They may not be the the best thing, but it's what's there. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I think some, some you know, I've, I've been through a lot of years of therapy mm-hmm. and a lot of different modalities mm-hmm. of, of self development. I think some people would come in and say, um, "Oh, you could." Could have been more self-directed, or um, you could have come up with your own vision and made it happen, or gone after what you really wanted. And that might be true. And at the same time, there have been these moments in life where something showed up, and I, and so that's just what was there. Yeah. So I wouldn't say it was a very thoughtful
1: process. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm I'm curious about that just to kind of highlight this for you know our listeners, you know, because I think this is a very critical time in life. It was for me and not that it's you know so important that you can't make a lot of different pivots as life goes on but i think there's a lot of children or young adults that are at that point in life and this is a subject i'm really passionate about where we have all this programming and it's it's embodied and it's unconscious and it's not just in our childhood it's in society i mean it's you know you can have the most loving parents and, and people that, you know, understand freedom of choice and self-expression. And yet there's still these, you know, kind of things that seep in around us mm-hmm. and to find kind of the, uh, the ability to go down a different path mm-hmm. um, right or wrong, you know, aligned or not, just not the one that, that is expected takes a tremendous amount of courage Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes it's not that thoughtful. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's just a kind of surrender or like a push from the universe or, you know, maybe, you know, divine intervention, whatever it is that you believe. And so I'm, you know, I'm kind of curious in in just kind of hearing a little bit more from your perspective, kind of where you were at that time. It, It sounds to me like it was, it was still kind of, you know, unconscious and just more of a reaction of what you know you didn't want as opposed to what you mm-hmm. did want is mm-hmm. that true
0: yeah i think it was um i think i really didn't know what to do yeah and and so when that option showed up um i just
1: went with it yeah 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 and and i think that's good you know for people to hear cuz sometimes we just don't know and yes. you just went with it. And so tell me, so you're yeah. cleaning toilets now. You're in Hawaii. <laughs> um, I'm in Hawaii. So how, how's yeah. it going in Hawaii? <laughs> it was... If you're going to clean toilets somewhere, it's, it's not a bad place to do, do place it. It's not a bad place to do it if you yeah. can figure that out. Um,
0: <laughs> it was beautiful in a way. I think I spent the first couple months just sitting in front of the ocean crying a lot. Mm. And it felt like a almost a like a detox, mm. like a, a cleansing Process and and certain aspects of life were very simple too because I was just you know getting up and taking care of the books and doing the stuff and um, what were you crying about? I don't even know that it was about anything. I think I was just releasing.
1: It's just an emotional release from all those years. I think of it was a release. Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, and that's something I've learned about um, that I've seen in myself and I've seen in other people working mm-hmm. with people that. We sometimes can think that emotions or expression of emotion that comes up is about something Mm -hmm. and that we should understand it and what's it about and all of this. But sometimes I think it's just a, it's actually just a release of the body.
1: Just energy moving.
0: Energy moving and just letting go. I mean, sometimes I think it's actually a sign of crying or breathing in Mm -hmm. in a different way Mm -hmm. can just be a sign of the body's actually relaxing. Mm -hmm. And, Certainly we live in a world that creates a lot of where there's a lot of stress mm-hmm. there's a lot of pressure and yeah. and if we live in places that are that are like that then I mean I think that can even happen if you come into I mean it, you see all the the ways that people are drawn today to mindfulness and mm-hmm. meditation and all these things that create stillness I mean we need that sure. because there's so much pressure so yeah I think sometimes you if you've if you've been under a lot of pressure whether that's Self-created and internal, or it's coming from the outside world. And it's certainly, it's certainly part of the ocean that we're swimming in. Is is a certain level of stress mm-hmm. that sometimes you get into a spacious place, or you can even imagine, like I, you know, I was living in Manhattan and just noise and mm-hmm. people and intensity, and all of a sudden, and everything man-made. I mean, I think that's something too mm-hmm. why people appreciate nature so much. Then all of a sudden, it's like all there is is this massive ocean, and space. And I think sometimes you give the body space, it's going to release.
1: Yeah. It's a little overwhelming in a, mm-hmm. in a beautiful and maybe unfamiliar way mm-hmm. just to kind of let that energy release and move. Yeah. And nature certainly has a way of bringing that out of us, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you mentioned therapy and the mm-hmm. modalities that mm-hmm. you've used. When does that come into your life?
0: Well, in Hawaii, I started studying some far out stuff. Mm-hmm. I started Um, studying meditation Mm -hmm. and kind of energy work and psychic work. And I found some different schools there that were focused on that. So I I ended up spending a lot of time meditating, spending a lot of time working with energy. And then realizing that I felt like there was a piece that wasn't being uh, addressed. There was something more I wanted to understand about our emotional development and relational development. And so after studying energy work for several years, then I started to get into more of the psychotherapeutic modalities and especially the ones that were body-based, that were Mm -hmm. somatic-based rather than analysis-based.
1: Studying them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, And practicing them as part of your studies too. I mean, were you the recipient of some of that therapy,
0: yeah. I yeah. mean, I I never really made it back, and and it was sort of a an a mental uh, preoccupation of mine to always feel like I needed to get back into that school environment. Like mm-hmm. I kept thinking, oh, I I should go back and become a psychotherapist, mm-hmm. or I should go back and study religion, or mm-hmm. one of these things that really interested me. But somehow, I never was able to get myself back mm-hmm. into those realms, and I ended up. Studying with different institutes and different smaller groups mm-hmm. that were exploring these things. Mm-hmm. Um, I moved to the Bay Area and found um, the Hakomi Institute there and some other, some other schools there that were mm-hmm. developing modalities and, and teaching modalities that were somatic-based thera- therapeutic methods, but they're very rooted in being a participant practitioner. Mm-hmm. So I did a lot of Peer counseling training, and most of the trainings I was in, I was learning, I was studying to be able to be a practitioner. Mm-hmm. But I was also constantly a guinea pig mm-hmm. and and working with
1: my peers. Mm-hmm. And is Hakomi um, the parts, the family systems? Tell me a little bit. Hik- no,
0: not- Hakomi is Hakomi is its own modality, and it's uh, it's rooted basically in mindfulness. Mm-hmm. And the the method of it is to is to develop. Uh, you know a safe relationship with the practitioner and then Mm -hmm. to develop mindfulness and then to be able to uh, watch and experiment with what the body expresses Mm -hmm. which is often different than what the words are saying Mm.
1: yeah i know i've seen it pop up somewhere so um tell me how you have made this transition i mean it's it's sounding very natural and you're very immersed in this world, you know, at this stage, but you know you've come from something that was very different, yeah. and I'm just kind of curious, you know, what your experience was like as you're learning so much about yourself and mm-hmm. and the the work. Mm-hmm. Is this now like a like you're energized and you're immersed in it? And it feels right, and natural, or is there still kind of a um, unconscious or a push pull of the different? expectations kind of where are you with this work at that time
0: well i think something you said earlier about you know sometimes we just don't know
1: mm-hmm.
0: and i don't think the way the world is set up gives many of us a lot of room to just not know
1: mm-hmm.
0: to just not know what we're doing yeah <laughs> and or just to not have an answer and i think throughout the process i i there's a lot of not knowing, there's yeah. a lot of confusion. there's mm-hmm. a lot of feeling like I don't quite fit into, you know, given the track that I was on, I don't think I've become something normal in that uh, trajectory mm-hmm. and and now I'm, I find myself drawn to and really interested in these modalities that are sort of fringe and not not in the center of mm-hmm. what's considered uh, reputable or scientific, but it was just, what spoke to me Yeah, and so I would come in contact with a specific teacher or I would do a session with somebody and it would just light me up in some way mm-hmm. and I would feel like it was touching something in me that I recognized as true yeah. and that's something that I've really learned about myself is that living from a place of just trusting my own knowing mm-hmm. um, as it's happening even if it's not necessarily valid to anybody else Mm-hmm. um and even if I can't demonstrate or display something from it that there's a certain value in that i mean I would say in a lot of ways i'm I'm a person with pretty interior life I'm not a big um I wouldn't say I'm a big doer mm-hmm. in in the world in a lot of ways, but mm-hmm. I have a very rich interior life yeah, and so these these different things I was coming in contact with that um they would just spark something in me where, oh, that was something that that person's saying. That's just true. I know. I feel it.
1: And you would take it in and you and would... And I'd
0: take it in and it would be a source of nourishment.
1: Yeah, nourishment. And then I would yeah.
0: feel like, I just want to be around this. I want to be in this field. I want to be in this energy. I yeah. want to be near this person or with this group of people exploring exploring these things and um, until it was done. But I think all the time I've had that, uh, you know, my mind would be in the question of like, well, how are you going to use this? And how is this right. practical? And how are you going to
1: support yourself? Right. And
0: this doesn't make any sense. Yeah. People would think this is crazy and right. you know, that's going on So that's all always the time. running,
1: right? Yeah. Always. Yeah. And, and I think that's really important to highlight kind of the confusion, right? Because that stuff's running. And then there's this thing that feels like it's really nourishing you. And that can be confusing. Mm-hmm. and that you know i'm not asking you to kind of explain where you were as uh, if you should have known mm-hmm. but it's just kind of like in hindsight and i think it's helpful for people to hear that that you know a lot of times we just don't know and it's 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 happening and things are showing up and you're kind of like in conflict with them and trying to follow threads that feel right but you know it's a time where we often don't know and and you know that can run forever and and hopefully it doesn't hopefully we kind of start to pull on the threads that actually really feel right that we we think are right that maybe we know are right but but that's not how it it goes for a while and and yet you know somehow or other it still seems to take you on the right path at, at what point do you start to feel like that's true for you that you know maybe you've you know kind of landed in something that that feels really like you are conscious and and mindful about what you're going to do,
0: mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I I still don't know if I really know. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's um, I think it's actually very cyclical and natural in some ways that we all. I mean, perhaps me more particularly, given my makeup, but. I think we all go through these periods where we know something and we're clear about it. We start going after it or we're working, we're engaged. And then at at some point it transitions or it ends and then we're back in a space of not knowing. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to look at ourselves and whether or not we're able to accept that. I Mm -hmm. think because (laughs) I think the pressure can be like, no, I got to keep knowing. I got to keep doing. I got to keep clear. I got to stay conscious. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it might be like, I don't know what the hell is going on. Yeah.
1: No, I, I agree with that and 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 that's very true for me. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I wasn't doing this podcast, you know, a year ago, <laughs> right. right? There's all kinds of things that keep showing up and mm-hmm. there it's often hard to tell if this is, you know, kind of the thing, but it's the thing for right now and it's yeah. and it feels good when I'm doing this and other things that I'm doing. And and I would imagine that's true for you with human design work, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, really appreciate you saying that because I think, you know, you, again, you're really highlighting a point, which is which is true that, you know, we go through these phases, these mm-hmm. cycles and not knowing is really, um, possibly a part of it, you know, and forever, if we're yeah. expanding, we might continue to go into not knowing phase. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I am curious kind of where does human design show up? Um, and, and, and I'm also somebody that loves a lot of different modalities. so i'm and including somatic work has been mm-hmm. something that I've really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. But can you tell me a little bit about kind of how the modalities take you to human design?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was studying these psychotherapy modalities and and doing a lot of work on myself and 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 counseling other people, starting to have a counseling practice. And then right after my daughter was born, um someone introduced me to human design and i had you know looked into astrology and some other systems like that before um but when i found human design there was something about it that really grabbed me and and at first i started to look at it and then i thought you know i've i've already studied you know a, 10 different systems i don't need a, i don't need to learn another system especially this one which seems pretty complex and so i took it really slow and and i think just to come back around to what we were talking about before, I think something else that we underestimate is the impact of timing. Mm. I think we can can think that we're supposed to be in charge of the timing of things, but sometimes things land or they come to fruition or they come to us when they come to us. Mm -hmm. And it can be kind of maddening to wait or to be in these periods of, of not knowing. But I do think there's something going on here where there is a certain timing for mm-hmm. each of
1: us and 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 this is just interesting to me mm-hmm. do you do you think that the timing has something to do with our readiness and other kind of actions we take so that we can accept the next thing uh, or do you think it's it's more kind of in a intelligence that maybe we don't understand and it's Kind of all happening as it's supposed to. And where do you kind of uh, shake out on kind of timing?
0: I tend to think that there may be a lot more of it that's just already there mm. than we realize.
1: Tell me more about that.
0: Like I found that it, my relationship with human design it has actually been very much that way. So when I first found it, I sort of took it slow. I was experimenting with it a little bit, but I I wasn't going whole hog into it. Then I took some more courses, and then I, I just sort of had it like sitting over here mm-hmm. while I was you know doing my life. And at some point, it was like it just became more central, mm-hmm. and then it slowly became more central. And then at some point, it just became clear, and the circumstances lined up. I got to go into this deeper,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I could think oh if when I had first found that system I I could have or should have just gone for it and mm-hmm. gone all the way and I I could have gotten through the studies of it or whatever in you know 2 years and or 4 mm-hmm. years whatever it just kind of percolated and then it landed when it did
1: mm.
0: and I would say I think that's I think that's the way it is mm-hmm. sometimes in life, and I think it also happens in relationships sometimes too. In mm-hmm. a way that we have, we may have a little less control of than we realize. Mm-hmm. Like you can find you have a working relationship with someone, and at some point it's just done,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and we don't know why. It's not like you don't like the person anymore necessarily, mm-hmm. but it you just have a sense that this is, I think this is done. Yeah,
1: I, I've had this thought and experience and maybe i don't know what feels like a knowing uh and i tend to agree with you Mm -hmm. and i think this is kind of how like the life how life and and maybe kind of like meta like how the whole thing is in this kind of like matrixy kind of right Mm -hmm. design Mm -hmm. where it's all done already yeah. right it's already happened right yeah. and we're just kind of in it you know and yeah. and i think that's where i shake out on the like intelligence we don't understand cuz yeah. sometimes you can kind of like really feel connected to the matrix and understand and mm-hmm. sometimes it's just like happening too fast for us to really comprehend and mm-hmm. i know that's a little woo woo but um yeah. Not for me <laughs> yeah that's what you mean and mm-hmm. and so we should probably back up a little bit. Yeah. Give a description of what human design is. Okay. Um, I don't think you know many of the listeners may know exactly what yeah. it is. So how would you describe human design?
0: So it's a system that emerged uh, in the 80s. And so it's not very old. And it synthesizes astrology and the I Ching and the Kabbalah, the Hindu Brahman chakra system. But it takes it's not like it's a comprehensive synthesis of all of those systems. There are actually particular aspects of each of those systems that have been synthesized into into human design, which then provides a map based on the time of your birth that shows us something about the imprint that we come in with. And it's an imprint that's um, in part on our consciousness and in part in our bodies. And then it shows what Our natural characteristics are in a lot of ways. It shows us how our energy is naturally designed to function, especially in relationship and in relationship to the material world and how we deal with the world. Um, It can show us what kind of themes are prominent in our lives. And that's, and it's a very, um, it's very Taoist in a way, I would say, where it's not seeking to, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there right now that's all about how do you manifest. What you want or mm-hmm. how do you you know create your goal and make it happen? This, I would say is is much more about recognizing that there's a certain nature to each of us. And if we can recognize that and not struggle against it, then we can actually move with it in a way that life doesn't resist us and we don't resist life mm-hmm. But it comes from a, a pretty intense premise that's saying that they're kind of like what you're mentioning, it's kind of already done mm-hmm. certain things are already done yeah there's a life that's already laid out for you and maybe what we're here to experience is not so much creating our lives but receiving and experiencing the life that's already there
1: mm-hmm. kind of being with what what is meant mm-hmm. to be yeah uh, and and that concept I think can be difficult for people very right <laughs> yeah. um because if the chart shows or the information suggests mm-hmm. that you are something
0: mm-hmm.
1: that maybe you don't feel like you are or that you want to be, right? Yeah. Um, there is this resistance. And so I'm just curious mm-hmm. kind of how you're working with people, yeah. what kinds of people, where, where are the kind of interesting areas of focus and, mm-hmm. and then like what the experience is for people as they're receiving this information.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I think people come, you know, some people come out of curiosity. Some people come because they're really hitting a point where whatever it is they're already doing is not working. Mm -hmm. Either they're not getting what they want or they're getting what they want and they don't like it. Yeah. Or there's some kind of resistance or conflict in themselves or in their relationships. So Mm -hmm. they're looking for, like, what is really going on here? Mm -hmm. And that's part of what human design as a system for me was the most. Comprehensive and fascinating explanation of the mechanics of life, Mm -hmm. and very accurate in my experience. So you can take something like there's there's there are many different themes that go that relate to the I Ching, especially. But if we take one for example, like crisis, Mm -hmm. you could say for some people there's a theme of crisis in their design. So you could say right away, I don't want to be associated with the word crisis. Who wants to have that Mm -hmm. as a theme in life but to look at it as part of a nature is to see that some of us are actually built to thrive in crisis Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and not any crisis but to thrive in the right crisis and so there's there's a interplay there between if we if we're aware of what some of these themes are, and if we stop resisting them and trying to eliminate them from our experience, then it actually gives us room to find the right context in which to explore that. theme. Mm-hmm. Because the tendency could be if we're unconscious about it or we're resisting it, then that could tend to be a person who might walk through the world and crisis, it's like they create right. crisis. There's right. just crisis everywhere.
1: Right. And and it's being seen as bad. And it's being seen as bad. Or wrong yes. or hard. And they're trying to get rid of it. Right. Yes. Yes.
0: But if instead you could stop and look at it and say, oh, there's something about crisis that I can't shake. Yeah. It keeps happening. <laughs> right. Maybe we can find out which crisis is actually worth being involved in. Yeah. So that it's not just crisis... Everywhere,
1: right? And maybe there's this, like, well, I've had a lot of crisis, and I'm and I'm good at it, you know. I've, mm-hmm. I've learned how to navigate it. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's something I really want to, you know, lean into. Yes, yeah. And so, tell me about kind of. I'm just want to connect the dots, you know. So, how when when you discover human design and you see your own chart, you know, how does it start to kind of explain? your own tension or resistance or kind of life experience and 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 then and then like how do you use it mm-hmm. for you
0: yeah i mean one of the one of the first recognitions that came to me through seeing my own chart was seeing that my design is very open so very receptive and very mm-hmm. interdependent very naturally affected by my environment and the people that i'm interacting with and so i think i had spent a lot of years thinking that i Should be more impactful Mm. in the world. I should be more, um, I should thrive with that sort of independence and self reliance and uh, self determinism in a way. And so when I saw that, I could really see oh, actually, the receptivity and the way that I'm so deeply impacted by who I'm with
1: Mm
0: -hmm. doesn't just have to point to there's something wrong with me. And I should be stronger, or I yeah. should be more willful, or I should be more powerful. Mm-hmm. It's actually showing that this is part of my nature. Mm-hmm. So now if I accept that, how do I work with that? Mm-hmm. that? And that actually gave me a lot more permission to be more selective about what environments I put myself in, um, if I can be. And to also notice that I'm not built and made to thrive everywhere with everyone. And I'm not going to be everybody's cup of tea. Mm-hmm. I'm something very specific, and mm-hmm. I mean, most of us are, but um, some more palatable than yeah. <laughs> easily palatable than others sure. in the context
1: that we live in. Yeah, and it sounds very freeing, really, very, right? Very liberating. Yes, because you know you no longer are kind of in as much confusion about yeah. stuff, right? Yeah. You're like, oh, well, that's just because that's how I am. Right. And then you can kind of adjust from yeah. that place.
0: Yeah. And it also frees up a lot of room, I think, to not be mm-hmm. wrestling with ourselves or trying to turn ourselves into something different.
1: Right. No more shoulds, right? Yeah. You yeah. can kind of know that like it just is, it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be, should be something different.
0: Yeah. And then I think what comes at what can come after that and what I've seen in working with people is that when you, that when there's that recognition there, oh, this is actually something I'm built for. Mm-hmm. This is This is actually something that's natural to me. Now maybe I can just follow this and see where it takes me. And that too, I think becomes a letting go into a certain kind of unknown. And there's a lot of directive in human design that points toward our bodies having a certain kind of intelligence that if we can learn to follow and trust and align with that it it's actually here to show us something
1: mm-hmm.
0: and the consciousness that we have can can get the chance to witness that yeah rather than trying to control it
1: mm-hmm.
0: or, or make it something some people are very naturally controlling mm-hmm. and that's great mm-hmm. some people are very naturally self-directed and self-manifesting a lot fewer mm-hmm. than we'd all like to believe
1: mm-hmm.
0: but it's not for everyone and so it also starts to I think one of the big benefits of it is it starts to take away some of the not only self-judgment we may have but the way we may struggle with each other.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask you, you know, how how effective is this in relationships and really understanding you know a yeah. partner.
0: Yeah, I think it's extremely helpful because one of the one of the flip sides of it is we may take a certain aspect of what's natural to us. And we might have a problem with it, try to fix it, try to change it. The other thing that can happen with it is that, say you take the same person who's kind of, who's kind of wired to be able to deal with crisis and has a certain capacity and tenacity to, to their system where they can handle it. And say they're in relationship with somebody who really doesn't have that. Mm-hmm. They're in relationship with somebody who's very sensitive and not really built to handle crisis very well. You can see, you know, you could look at that person and be like, "What's wrong with you? Right. Like, buck right. up! Like, you can do it. Come right. on, we can do this." It's easy to take for granted our own nature, mm-hmm. and then think that
1: why there's is something
0: wrong with other people yeah, why because they, they like can't that? handle it. Right. Why can't they handle it? Or, you know. Sh- Everybody has everybody has the ability mm-hmm. to handle crisis mm-hmm. as well. So why why isn't everybody just do it? Maybe it's because you're lazy, or maybe because it's you're not conscious, or maybe mm-hmm. because you're not trying. Yeah, I think you can start to see on on subtle and sometimes not so subtle levels how how that's playing out in relationship.
1: Yeah, well, and it's an interesting thing because you've studied so many different modalities and the human design system really says you know if i'm hearing you correctly and from what little i know mm-hmm. that you know you're kind of coming in a certain way mm-hmm. and i've asked you a lot of questions about kind of your childhood and mm-hmm. your family system and there's a whole school of thought around that mm-hmm. and so i'm kind of curious you know is this a, a an and for you it's mm-hmm. a both is mm-hmm. how do you kind of reconcile both your own life experience and this like you know, it's already done, you know, here's how we come Mm in, you know, how do you Mm -hmm. kind of see both of those? Well, I think what's really cool um,
0: about the map as it is in human design is that you can also see, you can see what the nature is, but you also see what the conditioning capacity is in that particular person. Mm. So in that way, you could see, oh, this person is going to be especially sensitive to expectation. Mm-hmm. Even if it's not spoken. Got it. They're 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 open to that. Whereas this other person not so receptive to uh-huh. expectation. So that's not going to affect
1: them in the same way. Interesting. So the map actually says kind of how much of you is more naturally inclined to be affected by yes. your life circumstances and you know yes. your childhood, your society. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That's, I've I've
0: never seen something that that maps that out so specifically, yeah.
1: so clearly. And and you find it to be true for most of your clients and for yourself. You can really see that showing up where you can see, well, they're, you know, more susceptible to X, Y, or Z. And like yes. it, it starts to really explain what's going on. Yes. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. It's become kind of like a very visceral language.
1: Yeah. For me. And I bet after kind of seeing it enough times, it's it's like you kind of get used to it. It's mm-hmm. not as like wow, like this is crazy, because you, mm-hmm. you're actually like oh well, you you just know it to be true. Mm-hmm. Is that right?
0: I I mean in some ways, but I would say I'm still I'm still pretty amazed by it. Are you? Yeah. Most of the time. Then how I mean, do you work
1: with people? Tell you know kind of generally, are you working? Um, one-on-one? Is it mm-hmm. um, kind of a similar thing to a, a therapy relationship or explain yeah. kind of how you work with people?
0: Yeah, I do. Um, I could. I do readings and sessions that, that are one-on-one and sometimes um, those might just be, you know, someone might come in just for a single session. And then I've also worked with people over time and those, that is more of like a counseling format mm-hmm. where we're using human design as a map, but it's, it's really about what is the living practice of working with this, mm-hmm. and also the experience of the deconditioning process, which mm. is the process of letting go of mm. a lot of the ways that we've been influenced. Mm. Um, and so that that can be ongoing work. It can feel a lot like therapy, especially because I have a somewhat of a therapy background. Mm-hmm. so um, but it's not therapy. Yeah. So if you need a therapist, go to a therapist.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got it.
0: There's value in therapy. Yes. Um, but yes. yeah, ongoing sessions. Um, and then mm-hmm. I have some people who come in and then they they come back periodically just to have the experience of... I think what a lot of people get out of it is feeling just seen, just mm-hmm. recognized. And exactly what you mentioned earlier, uh, some kind of a letting go of relief mm-hmm. in not having to fight against themselves. hmm and being able to see really specifically where and how that happens.
1: Yeah, I think this what you just said, you know, being seen mm-hmm. is really a pretty powerful component of it. And I have like I told you before we started I had done the chart, you know, mm-hmm. a while back a few years ago and mm-hmm. and and I've kind of forgotten mm-hmm. what yeah. my makeup was, so I mm-hmm. redid it just, you know, before we did the podcast out of curiosity and mm-hmm. and just having you start to explain it to me that was kind of the kind of uh, immediate reaction is like oh you know it makes sense you know i I, mm-hmm. I feel validated or understood and there's probably a lot there more that i we didn't get into mm-hmm. that i you know could continue to use it to understand myself mm-hmm. but there seems like there's this real power and value in in feeling seen feeling kind of you know normalized feeling yes. understood yes. understanding yourself mm-hmm. that really comes from you know looking at the chart
0: mm-hmm. yeah i've i've always been drawn to these systems that have a certain orientation toward just recognizing the nature of each of us mm-hmm. and that on a certain level there's nothing to fix about that mm-hmm. If, if we accept it, we can just let it live.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> let right. it,
0: let it have its life. Right. Let ourselves have the life. That like we that's have. how
1: you fix it actually. It's yeah. just is to letting just let it be. It be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's actually,
0: it's, you know, we make it, I think we make it a lot harder. I think we do too. It actually is. We make it really
1: hard. And, and, and I'm curious kind of just, you know, with somebody who has done as much work as you have and who has studied as much as you have and practiced you know, today, mm-hmm. um, What kind of modalities, if any, are you kind of still utilizing that help you as you're still navigating life? You know, what kind of things do you find to be helpful um, that that you're accessing? Do you still meditate? Are you active in any other practice? Mm
0: -hmm. I do still meditate, not as sort of consistently and formally as as I used to, um, but in a way that. Feels pretty natural and like it's just a natural um, mm-hmm. part of my day and and what I do periodically. I think movement is helpful and important, and for me, that's very mellow. I'm a mm-hmm. pretty mellow mover. Some people, you know, like to move mm-hmm. a lot more, but I mean, I would say probably the one of the biggest supports for me is are my allies in mm-hmm. life. I mean, the people that I consider my allies. The people I have in my life who do, who I feel really do see me mm-hmm. for who I am, and who I can talk through things with, which is something that's important for me, something that I need. Kind of mm-hmm. coming back to that voice piece, that's one of the ways that I come back to myself. One of the ways that I know myself. Mm-hmm. So the people I have in my life who can really listen and be with me, um, and be in a spacious conversation, mm-hmm. is really helpful
1: mm-hmm. for me.
0: Those are the things that that really help me. Yeah. And I think there are just there are so many great modalities out there. Yeah. I think there are so many therapeutic modalities that can be so helpful for the body. I think probably for most, I think most people, given our culture the way it is, need more support for the body mm-hmm. and need more witnessing, non judgmental witnessing. Mm-hmm. There was something I just heard this morning where somebody was saying, uh, getting attention is not the same as being seen. Mm-hmm. And I think um, that's a, to, to have people in your life who see you for who you are, yeah, or to seek that out,
1: yeah, yeah. I I, I agree. I think you know maybe it's a little bit of all of it, and mm-hmm. like you said, it's kind of happening, and whatever shows up, and and and. But there does seem to be, I think, uh, a lack of emphasis on the body work mm-hmm. and kind of this, you know, being with. Things and mm-hmm. kind of embodying them and really feeling into that as opposed to trying to figure it out and understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've kind of spent a lot of time in the figuring it out, understanding it, and yeah. it's helpful to some extent. But I think there's like a way that you can kind of get into the body that starts to really amplify the the knowing and the yes. and the kind of mind part of it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Good. Um, great. Thank you. Yeah. Tell me. Oh, or tell our listeners, where mm-hmm. can people find you? Uh, anything else that you want to share just about your work? And sure. uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, if, you're, if you're interested in looking up your design, you can go to mybodygraph.com. And that's an open and free site. If you're interested in looking at my work, you can go to holo, H-O-L-O humandesign.com. And I also co-facilitate a site called Human Design Collective. And that's at humandesigncollective.com. Which is more of a closed community site where you can explore more and learn more, teach classes, hold workshops, um, provide a lot of material there. So you can find me there too.
1: That's great, and you're here in Columbus, and I know we're going to do some events at Gravity. And yep, um, if
0: if you're if you're in that Columbus area and want to see me in person, we can do that too. I do really like I do most of my work online, but I really like seeing people face to face too
1: great yeah awesome well thanks amy this is really great it's great to hear your story and your you. your path to this work and thank you for the work you're doing and glad to have you here in columbus yeah
0: thank you really glad to be here
1: thanks Brent. thank you for listening to the gravity podcast Please subscribe to the show at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the entire Gravity Project, please go to gravityproject.com. Please check out the podcast on Instagram at thegravitypodcast. Music heard of the show is provided courtesy of Kyle Lamoro and Oliver Oak.